Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sabrina. Hi, I'm Sabrina. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you, Susan, for asking me to speak. When Susan asked me to speak, initially I was like, no, mm -mm, absolutely not. I am not doing that. Um, And I just have to, like, share that openly. I think this is my third time leaving this meeting, and it is not any less fearful. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why. I have a story about this meeting, and it makes me anxious. So, like, I've got my eye on the door, and I'm like, I just, if I bolt, I bolt. And you'll all love me no matter what. I'm not bolting. I'm just kidding. But, yeah. Um, I, I really want to uh, just uh, speak to the newcomers and all the chip takers. Like I'm so moved and inspired by all of you and I'm so happy that you're here. Um, I am sending some pictures around. Um, I have, um, I want to start with what it was like. And that is that, um, you know, I don't have a recollection in my life where food was not the center point of my whole existence. Like it was everything. I was not driven by connections to people. I was not driven to friendships. Like, if I was driven to those things, it was simply because those were people that could help me get to my food or were, you know, a conduit to food. I really was driven to um, to using food as, like, a really, really, really young child. I remember, like, wanting to sleep over at friends' houses so that I could eat their food because I didn't grow up in a house that had, like, you know, quote-unquote fun food Um, or, like, what I have learned today to be my alcoholic food. Um, And, like, I wanted to go to the mall so I could go to the food court while my friends wanted to maybe talk to boys or go buy, you know, pencils at Hello Kitty. I was, like, all about the food. And um, I used food as a way to cope with my emotions, Again, from as early as I can remember, I didn't know I was doing that, but that's what I was doing. Um, And I grew up in a house with um, a a bulimic food addict mom um, and a family that, you know, and a culture where food was sort of the center point of a lot of things. Um, When you're happy, you celebrate with food. When you're sad, you, you know, mourn with food. Um, And then, so I got that message But then I also got the message that food was bad and poison. Don't eat it because your body and the way that you look on the outside is actually what makes you worth anything. Um, and, And I watched my mom have that experience herself. I watched her, you know, struggle and suffer within herself. Um, so, you know, looking at the fact that she was a bulimic and had her own, you know, body issues. And I picked up on that very, very young. Um, And so I just always used food. And as a child, I wasn't, you know, particularly overweight. But um, I think to my mom, I probably was because she was disordered. And all of the women on my mom's side of the family have, you know, eating disorders of some sort, uh, whether it's anorexia, bulimia, overeating. Um, 
And I was put on my first diet when I was nine years old, Weight Watchers. And that really, like, was the beginning of my dieting career. Like, it was a career. It was a full-time job for my whole life until I came into these rooms. And, um, you know, the big book talks about the progressive nature of this disease. And dieting, for me, certainly was progressive. It started with Weight Watchers. And then I would, you know, do Jenny Craig but I would count the Weight Watchers points while I was eating the, you know, prepackaged food. And then on Saturdays, I was, you know, paleo doing a whole 30. And then I, it was just total insanity. Every single thing in the 12 and 12 from Overeaters Anonymous and that step one that was described, I have done with food. I have eaten out of the garbage. I have eaten frozen food. I have eaten rotten food. I've eaten super hot food. I mean, it's kind of a joke with my husband because I can eat food that's so much hotter than he can, probably because, like, I'm calloused, you know, from all the years that I ate such burning, scolding hot food because I couldn't wait. Like, I had to get my fix. I couldn't wait. Um, and, I, and I went to any lengths to get my food. Like, it's 40 miles away? Okay, no problem. I got it. You know, like, could I get out of bed and go to show up for someone in my family? Nope. But was I going out to get my food? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it just got, as I said, more progressive in nature. Um, you know, I, I turned to, you know, every diet possible I have done it. Um, and I, you know, went to trainers. I saw, you know, fat doctors who put me on medication. I, like, begged, you know, endocrinologists to find a metabolic disorder. Like, just please find something wrong with me to make me, like, it not be a food problem. Um, and in 2007, I had weight loss surgery. I had lap band surgery, and, you know... When I had that surgery, I was 250 pounds. So I do want to say, like, all the years of dieting, like, it got progressively worse, and so did my weight. Like, I, I got heavier and heavier and heavier. I was always on a diet, and I was always fat. Like, I am not a person who has any experience with dieting and it being successful. Like, I never lost 100 pounds until I came into this program. Like, nothing. So, um... When I had the lap band surgery, I was 250 pounds, and that was in 2007. Um, and when I came into the rooms in 2014, I was 280 pounds, and I still had the lap band in my body. Like, nothing had changed. So for me, that's like a tremendous amount of evidence that there is nothing out there that's going to fix this problem. Like, there is not a, a pill. There is not, you know, a, a diet plan. There is not a plastic, you know, thing that I can put in my body that's going to make this better. Um, and I did eventually have that band removed while I was in program in 2016. And I just want to say that it's not, it was not a tool that helped me lose weight ever not before program and not in program. Like, the way that the weight came off of my body was from this program and this program alone and the steps. Um, so I said I was 280 pounds when I came into these rooms. I think, like, that's the last weight that I can remember um, or that I, you know, recall. It's possible I was more. Um, 
And, you know, the, the weight is so important, I know, for newcomers to hear, but I, I really think the behavior of who I was, like the inside of me and what I am today is so much more important for me. So when I first came in, you know, I was just, I was such a liar. Like, I lied about everything. I lied about stuff that you don't need to lie about. Like, I just lied about everything. And I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. I could not distinguish reality from my lies because I just did it so often. Um, financially, I, you know, I was, I was a debtor. Um, I couldn't, didn't know it at the time, but I just, I lived far beyond my means. I spent more money than I had. I couldn't pay my rent. Like I would be buying, you know, bags and shoes and then calling my parents and saying, Hey, I need you to help me pay my rent. Um, and I didn't pay my bills. Like I couldn't open my mail. I would just, I remember like in program, a fellow helping me go through my mail and I just had bags and bags. Like it's so humbling to talk about because that's not my life today. But like I had bags of mail I could not open myself. I just couldn't do it. Um, I used to have, you know, piles of laundry and clothes. I couldn't do my laundry. I would sleep on my bed with no sheets. Like I would have piles of clothes next to me and I'd like find a spot and curl up and with my dog and like that was the life I lived. I had really, um, I, I had a really hard time showing up for people in my life. Like, just a very, very hard time showing up for people in my life. I could show up if I thought it was going to do something for me. But I couldn't really show up for people in any other capacity. Um, and I did really inappropriate things sexually. You know, I just, I, I was like above the law. Like, not, no, the rules never applied to me. You're married? That's cool. I don't care. Like, I don't care about your wife. Like, I didn't, it didn't even cross my mind that, you know, doing things with a married man was, like, not appropriate and not okay. Um, and I share that because it's such a, like, shameful thing for me, but it's part of my story. And, um, you know, I was so nervous as I shared about I, coming here and, and speaking and I spoke to my sponsor earlier today, and she was like, your job is to carry the message and be honest. Like, that's your job. And so I have to talk about the things that make me uncomfortable. And, and that the recovery is like, I'm so afraid, and I still show up anyway. Whereas before, I would be so afraid, and I would, I would just bolt, you know, or I'd call Susan 10 minutes before and be like, I can't come. Sorry, I can't come. Um, so... Um, the way that I, I came in to um, Overeaters Anonymous is um, in 2007, I had that, that lap band put in, um, and I came here, I grew up in a family with an alcoholic drug addict brother and a mom who is one of us but also was in <coughs> Al-Anon, and she put myself and my other brother in Alateen when I was very young, and I like revolted against the 12 steps. I was like, not for me, because my mom was telling me to do it. So anything my mom told me to do, it was like, I'm going to do the opposite. Like, do you really need that butter? Yeah, I do. And in fact, I need the whole stick, you know? Um, and that was sort of the, the function of our relationship. Um, and she had suggested that I go to Overeaters Anonymous. 
uh, when I was 250 pounds and I thought it was a horrible idea. I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, and I had a boyfriend at the time who was an active drug addict alcoholic and um, he suggested it and I was like, that's brilliant. I'm going to go to Overeaters Anonymous. So like, I came into the room. Um, I came in and I just didn't get it. I got a sponsor, um, but I, I just didn't get it. Like I, I legitimately had more eating to do. Um, and so I left. It was very short-lived. I left. Um, and then I had that lap band in. And, and with the lap band, I, I lost a little bit of weight, but not really. And I was like, wow, like something's really wrong with me. And so I, that's when I turned to purging um, out of desperation. Like this, you know, surgery isn't going to fix me. Like throwing up will be the thing. And I watched my mother like manage her weight that way. So I thought, well, that will work for me. Um, and so I started throwing up and initially it was just like a meal here and there. Um, and it was really easy with the band because of where it sat in my body. So like the food took a long time to digest. So it was really easy to purge. Um, and then it just became more progressive. Like I just, it was like one time then it was two times then it was three times. Um, and it got to a point where, like, it was, you know, all day, every day, like, 10, 11 times a day. Like, my entire life was about getting food, getting rid of it, and getting more food, and getting rid of it, and, like, just that cycle. And my binges would start at, like, really nice places, like Whole Foods. And then, like, by the end, before I came back into the rooms in 2014, I was, like, at 7-Eleven, you know, the, like, hot dog at the bottom of the thing with all the, like, the grosser, like, the most disgusting food I could get. Like, that's what I wanted. Like, I needed to have, like, it just, it, it, it was progressive. It was, like, the grosser, the better. Um, and so I was throwing up, and my family was very worried about me, and, um, I left OA, and I thought, okay, well, I have to go into treatment. Like, I have to do that. So um, I sought out a treatment program, and I sought out a treatment program that did not work the 12 steps. Like, I actively found a program that did not incorporate the steps on purpose. And, you know, looking back, I, because I know it was a solution, and I was so terrified. Like, if I could say any message about my life, it's fear. Like, I lived my life so fear-driven that it was like anything I could do to avoid, that's what I did. So um, I went into treatment, and um, I was in treatment for 10 weeks, and I came out, and I was like, ooh, I'm cured. Everything is good. And I, I was still overweight. You know, it was probably maybe three, two, 230, 240, but I'd stopped purging. So I was like, I'm cured. Um, and three years or so went by, and then I started purging again, you know? I couldn't stop. I couldn't stay stopped. And um, and I was all the while, you know, gaining, gaining, gaining weight. So um, that ex-boyfriend that was a using drug addict alcoholic at the time, we had since broken up, um, and he got sober, and he called and asked if he could make amends to me in July of 2014, and I said, sure, okay, so we met for lunch, and during that lunch, I got up 
probably four or five times to go to the bathroom to throw up. It was like I could not have any food in my body. Like anytime food hit my body, like I had to go and get rid of it. And I just want to like repeat, I was 280 pounds. You have to imagine the amount of food that I had to be eating in order to be purging that much and maintain a 280 pound body. Like a lot. It's a lot of food. Um, and so he sat across from me and, you know, he made his amends and he said, I, I know what you're doing, you know, and I didn't care. Like, I did not care that my friends knew, my family knew. I used to like throw up in water bottles and bags in my car and just like shove it under the seat. Like, I didn't care. Like, anybody found out? Like, okay, whatever. Um, and for whatever reason, he said something to me that day. What he said to me was, you have a spiritual malady. And I was like, I don't even, I legitimately did not know what that meant. But what I did know is that he was crazy. And I was like, you're, you have a problem. I'm fine. You're the problem. And I have not found the right diet yet. Like, I will find it, but I haven't yet. Um, and I, I think I, like, even maybe went to my car and, like, looked up the word malady. Like, I didn't know what it meant. I was like, what is he talking about? He's like, just go to an OA meeting. Again, so like second suggestion, you know, seven years later, go go to an OA meeting. Um, and I listened. I don't know why, but I did. And, you know, he was so different. He was so different in front of me. I couldn't, like, put my finger on it, but, like, he was so different. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And so I, I came back to my first meeting in July of 2014, and, you know, when I came in, I I had no evidence in my life that I would ever lose weight, so I believed that that was my story, that, like, I was going to be fat forever, and that nothing would ever change, but, like, maybe I could learn how to love and accept myself in the rooms, like, self-help. And, but I started to go to meetings, and I started to see people who shared their stories, who were you know, obese, and now not obese, or who were throwing up 10 times a day and no longer sticking their fingers down their throat for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. It was, like, mind-blowing. Um, and so I just, I, I think I found willingness, Some, you know, it was a gift. It was a gift, uh, that gift of willingness to listen and hear what people had to say. And um, I had a sponsor. My very first sponsor was someone who I, I said in, in a meeting, in a share, I need a sponsor. And she's like, I'll sponsor you. I'm like, great. And she took me through, I think, the first step. And, you know, she really, really helped save my life. Like, she really helped save my life. It wasn't the right fit. We didn't quite share the same story. But she's a huge part of why I'm still here today. And I have to acknowledge that. Um, and then I found a sponsor who, you know, had the same story that I did and that I could connect with and who was maintaining a body weight that was, you know, normal, whatever that means. I have a hard time with that word, normal body weight, but um, healthy, healthy body weight. Um, and uh, we started going through the steps. And, and initially when I first came in, my abstinence was simply no binging and no purging. That was the best I could do. If anybody had asked me to do anything different, I would have left, like, truly. I would have been like, nope, and left. So that was the best that I could do. Um, 
And and we started going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we, we started in uh, the doctor's opinion. And I read for the first time about this, um, you know, allergy. The allergy, the phenomenon of craving, the allergy of the body, and the obsession of the mind. And I had to look at the foods and the behaviors that I used around food that triggered that allergy. So for me, that's white flour, it's recreational sugar, it's some other foods, it's certainly binging, certainly purging. Um, And, you know, I have other behaviors as well. And that became my abstinence. And, you know, the book is really clear. It doesn't say, like, partial abstinence or abstinence on Friday but not on Saturday, which is, like, my way of doing things. Um, like, having, like, a, you know, built-in binge day, like, a, like I could be normal with that because then every day became a binge day. Um, but it says entire abstinence. And so um, I could not will myself into abstinence. I mean, if I could, I would not be here today. I don't, you know, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't will myself into anything. Um, but so we went through the big book, and, and, and it started there, and then I started to work the other steps. And that is really when my life started to change, you know. Um, I lost over 100 pounds in this program, and it's, like, to me, the smallest gift that I've been given. When I came in, it was the only thing that mattered to me, and it today is, you know, is not the most important thing in my life. So through working the steps, the things that have changed are, you know, I shower on a regular basis, which was very, very hard for me to do. I even shave, which is a miracle, really. (laughs) Um, uh, I, you know, open my mail every single day. It comes. I pay my bills. I make my bed. I keep a clean car that's, you know, not full of vomit because that's the car I kept before. Um, And I'm disciplined, and I've been disciplined by the steps. That's how I got disciplined. Um, I wanted to read something from the appendix, the spiritual experience appendix. And it says, the the terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. So I learned that my problem actually was not food. I suffer from alcoholism. And the only way that I get to recover from that alcoholism is daily, because every morning I wake up, I'm still an alcoholic, and food is my substance of choice, and behaviors around food are my substance of choice. But the only way that I get to recover is to have a personality change. And that comes from having a spiritual Awakening, a spiritual experience. And the way that I get that awakening is through the steps. The steps are spiritual, period. Like, there's not, I love, I hear when people are like, oh, the spiritual part of the program. Like, no, the program is spiritual. It's a spiritual program. And if I cannot accept that, if I'm out searching for, like, the perfect food plan and the perfect abstinence, it's going to fix me. I'm just, I'm, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking in the wrong place. So I don't like this. Like, I don't like that the solution is spiritual. I don't like that I have this every day and I've got to do work. 
but I see the drastic difference in my life when I do these things. You know, um, when I use the tools, when I pick up the phone, when I when I call my sponsor and I say like I'm having a feeling and I need to talk about this feeling so it doesn't show up on my plate or I don't stick my fingers down my throat. Um, so my life today is is very very different. I worked very hard to get out of debt. Um, I took very solid direction, um, and I continue to take solid direction. And it's like not just for my sponsor. Like I have a posse of people. Today I'm married to a man who is also in recovery, who has sat in this room with me all three times that I've shared. And the fact that I can speak so openly and like no secrets about what is on the inside of me, what was on the inside of me, and what I continue to work on is a profound, profound gift. I can feel and accept love in a way that I didn't even think was possible. And not just with him, but with my family, with friends. Like, I can show up for people today. My initial response internally always is still no. Like, that's my go-to. I'm a runner. Like, I'm a runner. I've said that 700 times. I'm a runner. (laughs) And I just want to bolt. But so that's my go-to. If I can, like, take a pause, connect with my, you know, higher power, talk to fellows, I, I stand a chance at, at staying. Um, and, and our life together is really rooted in recovery. I joke that he's my secondary sponsor, but he is, you know. Something happens, he's like, takes me back to the steps. Something happens for him, I take him back to the steps. Like, that's what we do for each other, and, and I'm so grateful. And so what I, what I want to do is end there. Like, that's what I want to do is be like, okay, every, all the butterflies and rainbows of my life is so amazing. <laughs> but that's not what is honest and real. So today, what I continue to work on, because I'm still here, um, I have four years and nine months of abstinence, which is a miracle, miracle. The fact that I have not purged or, you know, eaten those alcoholic foods. So what I'm still working on with the food, I'll start there. Um, I lost a lot of weight in this program. I gained a little bit of weight back. And I have had a tremendous amount of unwillingness to eat less food. I have a food plan that I follow. I weigh and measure my food. That's been the way it is from the beginning of time. And the way that I eat today is drastically different than the way I ate at the beginning of my recovery. Like, I was eating chicken sears for snacks when I was in the beginning of my recovery. Like, that's not a snack for me today. Not that there's anything wrong with chicken skewers, but, like, that's a meal for me. Like, that's a part of a meal. Um, so, you know, I've been, I've been really unwilling to... Uh, do things differently with my food. And I started working with a new sponsor about 10 months ago. And I still have a profoundly close relationship with my first, you know, my, or rather my second sponsor who I worked with for many years. We have a very close friendship. And the reason why I made that shift is because I thought I was above the law. I was like, well, we're friends, so I don't have to send you my food. I don't have to do a 10-step. I don't have to. And guess who uh, is in trouble? Me, not her. So I I started working with a new sponsor about 10 months ago, and she started talking to me about my food again, 
nothing new. It was happening before with my other sponsor. I just didn't want to talk about it. And I said to her, I am not willing to eat less food. And she was like, okay, let's just keep working the steps. Like, let's just keep working the steps. And I have been at a physical plateau for um, a long time, two or three years. And, um, and by working the steps, somehow, like, it's magic. I don't know how it works. I have been willing to give up less food. I used to literally panic between lunch and dinner that I was going to die if I didn't have a snack or if dinner was not at this exact time, like, I was taking all of you out, like, get out of my way, still in recovery. And that has slowly started to shift for me. And I'm working now towards, like, losing weight for the first time in a long time. And I thought it was because my body was broken. Like, I had that same story. Like, no, my body's broken. It's not because of my food. Guess what? It's because of my food. So I get to say that openly. I had to give up foods that I was eating. um, And I was, you know, driving across the city to get 17 flavors of, like, not a food that needs to be in my repertoire as a food addict. That's just the truth. And um, so that's what I'm working on with the food and eating less when I go out to meals, you know, saying to my husband, like, I don't want you to think I'm not fun. He's like, food, the way you eat is not what makes you fun. I'm like, it's not? Like, what do you mean? Like, it's a crazy concept. Um, So now, like, what I'm still working on on the inside, I'm, I'm working a sixth step right now. And I don't like it at all because my defects are, like, roaring at me. When I first did my first sixth step, it was like, okay, these are the defects I'm willing to give up, and these I'm not willing to give up because they don't really negatively impact my life. Let's move on. And um, that doesn't work today. Today, like, all of those defects that I was not willing to turn over um, were not removed. And, you know, for me, that's going to a meeting sitting, you know, as a fellow or in a service position and judging people for not timing the right way. Like, what's the right way? Like, not timing my way and showing it on my face and being called out by my sponsor. Like, that behavior is not okay because that behavior is actually, like, what fractures me on the inside. That is what takes me to the food. That's what takes me to the purging. Judgment of others. Gossip. Um, you know, those things I'm still working on and they keep showing up. I keep getting like my higher power is like, Hey, you want to practice? Here you go. Practice this. Or, you know, something comes up at work. I just, I have all of these opportunities where I get to continue to practice and work the steps. So today, like I still have so much work to do, so much work to do. And that's why I keep coming back. I'm so grateful to be here, and I think I will end there. Thank you. Do I have time for questions? Okay. Yes. So the question was, how is my relationship with my mother now? Um, That's a really good question. So much better. I was so enmeshed with my mom, like so enmeshed. Um, and, you know, I, I'm thinking about when I got married and, uh, I was in recovery when my husband and I got married and got serious. And when I would be around my mother, he was like, 
whoa, like, where did my recovered wife go? Like, this behavior, you know, it's just horrible. I was horrible to her. I would, like, snap at her. Um, I don't, I don't do it perfectly, but it has gotten tremendously better. And that, I think, has come through, through working the steps around my mom, you know, right, doing a fourth step, um, you know, talking about the things that have happened. And we have a very close relationship. Does she still, like, irk me? Yeah, but you know why? Because she's a mirror for me. That's why. And I don't like people that are mirrors for me. When I'm so disturbed, it's because I'm disturbed because there's something wrong inside of me because I see what, you know, I see myself in someone else. Yes. Hi. Um, you read the spiritual experience. Thank you for that. Um, did you say that you had, like, a white light experience like Bill or a spiritual experience with the educational writing? Could you yeah, so the question was um, reading the spiritual experience and did I have a white light like Bill spiritual experience or a slower uh, spiritual awakening. Absolutely 100% slow. Um, when I came in, I, you know, I came from a Jewish family um, that was not religious and, you know, God was like a man in the sky with a white beard. Like, that's how I viewed God. And I did not have any sort of relationship with that power. And it has been an ongoing journey for me um, to come to believe and really, like, find something. And I've heard so many things in the rooms that have shifted for me. And that is, like, you know, make the group your higher power. Okay, I'll start there. Um, I started praying even though I didn't know what I was praying to. I started meditating even though I didn't know what I was waiting to listen for from this thing. Um, and today, I think, like, one of the things I've learned is that if I overthink it, I'm in big trouble. Like, thinking it is, it's, it's not a thinking program. You know, it's an action program, and I can't think it too much. So it's a choice. Like, step three is a decision, and I love to exercise my will. So I'm, it's like, oh, I get to choose this today. And, like, it is, tr it is truly as simple for me as God is everything or God is nothing. And I choose today that God is everything. And I, I hope that tomorrow I wake up and choose that God is everything. Um, and then I also just want to say, like, there are a lot of experiences that have happened in my life that have brought me closer to faith. So walking through fear and getting through something, whether it's leaving a meeting or, you know, um, watching someone that you love pass away, you, for me, has, has deepened my spiritual life. Um, you know, my husband and I have been trying to have a child, and, like, infertility is a really quick uh, pathway to faith. It's just, it's a really quick pathway for me to faith. And going through loss, like, it's a very quick pathway to, to a higher power. Um, and that's really been my experience, that it is continuously changing and growing. And, um, you know, if I can be open and awake to experiences that I think may be my higher power and I choose to believe that they are, then I see that, like, my faith deepens. Okay. I think I'll end there.